We greet you again in the name of Jesus Christ, the one that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe that is an ongoing process. The subject assigned to me is principles that promote good brotherhood leadership relationships. And I could I could close this message by saying this. If you adhere to all the biblical directives in the word of God, in relation to what it means to be a redeemed people and where the Spirit of God moves and works among the people, that's all you need. And yet I've chosen to pick, and I, I, th- let, me, let me say this. So all of the principles, all of the directives in the Word of God apply to the subject before us this morning. However, time does not allot us to, or allow us to, at least if we pay much attention to time, to mention all of the directives and principles in the Word of God. So I've chosen a number of them. And I would begin with a united corporate vision purpose, and agenda. A united corporate, and you might say that's redundant, and and probably it is, a united corporate vision, purpose, and agenda. And you may wonder why I have chosen that one. Turn with me to the book of Romans and chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5. It says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And there is the relational dynamic of this, of this concept. The, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And if you, I'm going to reference, maybe I'll just reference one more. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. It says, if there be, if, 
There be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And we could go to Ephesians chapter 4 as well, where it says there is one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And the prior to that, he says that there be the unity of the Spirit among you. That ye may with one mouth and one mind Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I ask you something this morning? How do you as a congregation fit into that which is singular versus that which is plural? How do you as a congregation here at Prairie fit into that which is singular, one, single, and not plural? One goal, one aim, one purpose, one mind, one desire, one passion, one vision, one mission. Does that describe you as a congregation? That you may, that you may with one mouth and one mind glorify God. Many of us, I need to be careful how I say this. May I say it in somewhat the modern vernacular, we do life. How many of you go through life and you simply take life as it comes. And you might say, well, what are our options? What else can we do? I mean, it, life comes to us and we take it as it comes. And that is true. But my friends, I fear that sometimes we are lacking in vision, in goal, in purpose. And we just simply sit back and we take life as it comes. And I, the same thing can be true of congregational life. We do church. I mean, what, what else would we do? And so, I mean, you know, you know what's anticipated of you as a member of the church. You are expected 
largely to be here and be supportive of what the church, when the church is in function, when the church is in session, you are expected to be here. Okay, so I'll go. But I would have you this morning consider, what are the things that unite you in one? What are the things that really, genuinely unite you in one? And particularly when it comes to the issue of purpose and goal, vision and mission. What are the things that unite you? Is there a singular focus? Is there a singular purpose? Is there a singular passion? Is there a single, a singular vision and mission that binds you together? One mind and one mouth. One mind and one mouth. Not many minds and many mouths. What are some of the things that should bind you together? One is that you love God with the entirety of your being. What did Jesus say? That that is the first and great commandment. And all the rest of it is merely descriptive of what it means to love God with your mind, heart, soul, and being. That Jesus Christ is honored, loved, and exalted, and ultimately preeminent in the church of Jesus Christ. Can you say, I mean, are those the things that bind you together? Are those the things that unite you? That you can say, we have one mind. That the centrality of Jesus Christ in the church of Jesus Christ is what binds us together. And unites us in one. And then that the reality of the redeemed life, the reality of the life divine that God has given to his people, be lived out and expressed on a daily basis. And then we can look at what is our vision and what is our mission. What are we here for? What are we about? And I just trust that there every parent here this morning would say with me that by the grace of God, 
that our goal, our vision, our mission is to raise a godly posterity. It is to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to raise each other. And that is, that is the beauty of the corporate body, to raise each other to new heights spiritually, to challenge each other. And brethren, sisters, may I tell you this morning that if you speak with one mouth, and with one mind. If there is that kind of unity among this brotherhood, then the interactions of leadership and laity, or leadership and brotherhood, are going to go along quite smoothly. And I would... I understand something. One of the great challenges, and perhaps one of the greatest challenges of leadership, is to articulate and maintain that kind of uh, purpose and goal in the congregation. But to you as a laity... I would ask, are you a team player? Are you, are you willing to get on board and embrace the purpose and the vision and the mission of the church of Jesus Christ? Or are you off doing your own little thing? And I mentioned the issue of agenda. Are you willing to embrace a corporate agenda? Or are you will are you do you simply say that I have my own personal agenda and that's what I will pursue? There is a brother in our congregation that and I I don't even remember. I don't remember what his responsibility was, but he had some he was given some task to direct some affair, and I, I, don't, I don't. I think it was rather insignificant. But nonetheless, he was given this task to direct this affair, whatever it was. And his his comment following that is, he said it was a little bit like herding cats. How many of you have ever herded cats? And there's something about that imagery that tickles me <laughs> the issue the issue of herding cats but brother dwight if if your if your experience as a leader is that of that you're herding cats there's something wrong there's something wrong with this issue of a singular focus a singular vision a singular purpose and a singular mind and mission in the church of Jesus Christ. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. 
and my dear friends this morning, that's what I wish for you as a congregation. But that's not just the job of the leadership. That's something for all of you to embrace. Number two. Maybe some overlap from Brother Delbert's message. Number two is charity out of a pure heart. If you turn with me to First Timothy chapter one. I'm going to read the first five verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, but rather godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the, and this is, this is the verse particularly. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. I suspect that that verse is a verse I have spent more time contemplating and thinking about than probably any other verse in Scripture. What, what did the Apostle Paul mean when he instructed Timothy that the end of the commandment, and one of the, one of the questions that comes to my mind is what, what commandment is he referencing? What's he talking about? What is the end of the commandment? But he said the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. And so, um, Paul references the commandment in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, but I think he's talking about the, the time that he was called, when God called him to be an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior. And then he also references the, the fact that he besought Timothy to abide at Ephesus and that he teach them to avoid things that are not profitable for the congregation. Avoid those things. Don't, don't talk about things that are not profitable for your people. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. 
And I, I still have not totally come to grips in my own mind what the Apostle Paul was saying. And brethren, you can instruct me afterward. <laughs> but the one thing that I would, the one thing that I have, I have said about this is if I understand the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul for this young bishop, Timothy, in fulfilling his responsibility as called by God to lead out in the church of Jesus Christ, is that there was to be one overriding objective that he embraces in all of his ministry. And that is charity. (coughs) Excuse me. Charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Now you say, well, that that speaks to the issue of ministry, doesn't it? So, Brother Dwight, Delvin, Warren, Curtis, You're to love. And you're to love from a pure heart. And that is true. And would to God that every ordained brother that's called into a position of leadership would embrace charity out of an over, charity out of a pure heart as an overriding objective. In his ministry. But turn with me to First Peter. And we could read a verse in chapter four. Where it says, Finally, be all of you first. Peter, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, finally, be all of you of one mind. There's this thing about one mind, singular focus. One mind, having compassion, one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And then in chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. And above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, who's that speaking about? Is that speaking about your your ministry? Well, it would include your ministry, but it includes all of you. And what's he talking about? Above all these things, an overriding objective. Above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves. And how many of you think this morning that if there indeed was fervent charity in the brotherhood and in the ministry, that this issue of the leadership and the laity relating would, is not going to be a problem, is it? Have fervent charity, an overriding objective in all else that you do. 
By the way, what did the Apostle Paul say? Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and though I give a host of my possessions to feed the poor, and though I even am willing to give my body to be burned, and have not charity, I am what? Nothing. And with charity comes, as our brother already mentioned, compassion, kindness, forbearance, courtesy. an overriding objective in ministry and in the brotherhood is that you love and you love with a pure heart fervently. Number three is respect and respectability. And this is right here in Peter's first epistle as well. Chapter 2. And I know the King James uses another word rather than respect and respectability, other words, but the, the, the words that we would tend to use today are respect and respectability. Now, and I, the other thing is I know that I am pulling this out of a context that is not necessarily speaking to the issue of brotherhood. Now, I understand that. But note what he says in verse 12. having your conversation honest or honorable, having your conversation honorable among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then in verse 17, it says, Honor all men, Honor the king. So this is very much in the context of our relating in society and how it is that we function in society. We are to, number one, we are to conduct ourselves honorable, honorably or respectably. That's how we are to conduct ourselves. (coughs) 
May it never be said of us. How many of you ever heard someone called a jerk? What does that mean? He's not behaving himself respectably, right? And he's not, he's not conducting himself honorably. May that never, never be said of us. Because we are to conduct ourselves respectably or honorably in society. And likewise, we are to be, we are to respect or honor who? Oh, we're to honor the king, right? Well, we are, by the way. But it says honor all men. In, in other words, we are, they're, they're, from the, from the Christian, the child of God, the one that is born by the Spirit of God, one of the things that he should conduct himself in a, in a respectable manner and he should respect other people. And may I tell you something, brethren and sisters? If that is not, first of all, practice right here in the brotherhood, it is highly unlikely that it will be practiced out there either. Do you believe that? Respect and respectability. Now, for you as a congregation... I probably need not remind you this morning (laughs) that you are to respect the leaders that God has placed over you. And in the congregation, in the function of the Church of Jesus Christ, you are to conduct yourself respectably. And you are to respect your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and you really respect your leadership. Number four is humility. Brother Dwight references scripture. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place. With him also, that is of a humble and contrite spirit, to revive the spirit of the contrite ones and to revive the heart of the humble. Where does God dwell? He said, I dwell in a high and a lofty place, a holy place. And yet, God in divine condescension comes down and abides with those who are of a humble 
and contrite spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, Verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill me, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. And here again, the same idea we were talking about earlier. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. How many difficulties in the church of Jesus Christ could be avoided if there was greater humility among all? How many of you can say that you do not have all the answers? And in fact, can you also say that I actually need my brothers to give me a balanced perspective of the way things really are? That's humility. And I would likewise ask you, how many of you can honestly say that I need the leadership that God has placed over me? Or are we simply doing church? How many of you believe there's a purpose, there's a reason why God has ordained that there would be leadership in the church and it is for my good and for my protection. And yet, for me to accept and embrace that I actually need leadership. And by the way, I don't think that excludes any of us, does it? But are we humble enough to understand that I don't have all the answers? I need leadership, I need guidance, and I need my brothers and sisters to help me along the way. Number five is what I would call speaking to each other. Or you could also call it the brotherly address. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, somewhat familiar verses, verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, 
speaking to yourselves, speaking to yourselves, and I know, I know the way it reads here, particularly in Ephesians, and we could go to Colossians and look at a parallel scripture where the speaking is more evident than it is here in Colossians, I mean in Ephesians. But it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, we could also talk about submission. But may I... And I gained this from a book um, by John Stott entitled Baptism and Fullness. And he said the breakdown of this passage of Scripture is in verse 18, be not drunk with wine, do be filled with the Spirit. Is two, there are two imperatives there. So do not and do. Be filled with the Spirit. And then that is followed by four present participles. Now, forget that I mentioned that, except let me tell you the significance of that. The four present participles are an explanation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. They are, I mean, they revert back to the imperative, so it's an explanation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And there are four things. Speaking to each other, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks and submitting to each other. Two of them have to do with our relationship with God. Two of them have to do with our relationship with each other. How willing are you to receive what your brother has to tell you about yourself? May I say something? Not many of us welcome that. And many of us would be resistant to that. And probably for all of us, it is a difficult task to undertake. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? One of the things it means that I must be willing to go and I must be willing to receive. And I could I could expound on this
Too often, I fear, we embrace a paradigm that is not totally biblical. We have this, we have this notion or this idea that it's me and God. And if God doesn't tell me, but brethren and sisters understand that I think all of us have a degree of blindness in our lives that will be exposed by others if we're willing to listen. But too oft, we do not listen. Those of you who know much at all about Traverse Bay Mennonite Church will know that my son-in-law is also my fellow minister. And when Travis was ordained, Travis Troyer, when Travis was ordained, he came, he joined a ministerial team. And Travis, by nature, is quiet and reserved. And he, he joined our team, and he did not... I mean, he would, he would speak when we'd get together as ministry and discuss things and so on. If I'd specifically ask him, and I'm not saying he never contributed anything, but he would, he would respond if I would ask him a question. But several years ago, we were confronted with an issue. And I went to that minister's meeting. I had decided in my mind where we're going. I was ready to deal with this situation. And so we discussed it as a ministry. I don't know that I really said necessarily what what my intent was. But we were discussing it as a ministry, and Travis said, I think we should do this. So here's the scenario. Travis is the junior member. I'm the senior I mean, literally, in age and years of calling, he's the junior, I'm the senior. And may I say this? And I'm the bishop. Now, I'm, let, me, let me tell you something, Brother Delbert. I'm not, I'm not speaking to the issue of rank. However... The bishop is ultimately responsible for decisions and outcomes. Is that right, brother? (laughs) And, And a lot of times it is the bishop that receives whatever feedback there is from whatever happens, negative or positive. And he's my son in law, and I'm his father in law. This is what I will tell you. I was so glad 
that I listened to what Travis had to say. I mean, the outcome of that scenario could have been so drastically different had I not been willing to listen to what my brother had had to say in spite of the fact that, you know, I could say, well, he's the young one, I'm the senior. Speaking to one another and listening to one another. I think I've used my time. Is that right? Number six is a sacrificial bent. A sacrificial bent. Romans, back to Romans 15. Verses 1 and 2, which says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. What are you willing to sacrifice? For the good of your brother. Are you, are you willing for his good and for the edification of the body of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice? And we could go to 2 Corinthians 12, 15. We could go to 2 Timothy 2.10, I'm not going to take the time to do that. In 2 Timothy 2.10, I think the Apostle Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake. In other words, I whatever comes to me, and I understand that Paul is speaking from the perspective of a leader, he said, whatever comes to me, I'm willing to endure that for the good of the whole. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it means for the good of the body of Jesus Christ. And number seven is helping and encouraging each other. Some years ago, I was assigned a subject in an ordination weekend the title of which went something like this. The congregation, and I'm not sure exactly the wording, the congregation or the laity meeting the needs of the ministry. Wow. Do you brethren have any needs? And I have to, I have to tell a little bit on myself, okay? The 
My mind, my, it is difficult, I'm not sure how, quite how I should say this, but my personal bent, my personal way of thinking, my, just the way I process things is that is, I mean, that is totally antithetical to the way I think. I don't know if I should say totally, but it is, it is largely antithetical to the way I think. And here is, and this, this is wherein I need some uh, help from my brothers to give me a little bit of balance because this is, this is kind of how I am, how I think. However, I do believe that this is a reality in our society. We have become a need-focused society rather than a resource-focused society. And that, perhaps belatedly, has encroached into the Church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I fear that we, our tendency is to grovel down in the valley of need and victimization and so on, rather than rise to the exalted plane of divine resource and deliverance and the grace of God. That is my concern. In other words, our tendency is to create victims rather than victors. However, <laughs> what I what I went what I actually I been so this was assigned to me. I had to kind of I mean, if I was going to all do some sort of uh, I, I had to address this subject. The congregation meeting the leads the needs of the ministry. I I tend not to go to the need part of it. I'd rather go to say I, I'm, I'm not I'm not belying I'm not denying the reality of need among us. That's not the point. The point is may our focus may our focus be on deliverance and resource, divine resource, and the grace of God which enables people to overcome. The issues that they face in their lives. And brethren, I am a, I am here because of the deliverance of Jesus Christ in my life. And I'm here because God has continued to work in my life. But this is the point. When I started studying for that message, <laughs> Turn with me to the book of Romans, the last chapter. And I want to read some verses to you. Verse 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as become a saints, and that ye assist her in whatever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. So what did Paul say? What was Paul saying? Here was a lady, this lady Phoebe, and 
She was, she was the type of individual that reached out and met the needs of individuals, and apparently it was a fairly broad scope of individuals, including the Apostle Paul himself. And then he goes on, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who have for my life, now listen to this, who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And also, um, then in verse 6, it says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on whom? On us. And verse 9, Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and stack whatever that name is in the Greek, my beloved. And verse 12, it says, Salute Tryphena and, Ty, tri, and Tryphosis, who labored in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. And you know the story of Jesus Christ, don't you? That there were women that accompanied him ministering to his need and a largely physical need. And I was impressed with that. And so I say to you as a congregation... And this is maybe as particularly to you as a congregation, because your ministry is all about speaking into your lives and to your needs. But what can you do to help them? Encourage and help them. Two weeks ago this evening, We concluded a series of revival meetings. And after the the final meeting, there were, there were several responses, number of responses that evening. There was a young man, a young man. Well, I mean, he's relatively newly married. Relative. Pick up on that word. But he came to me after the service and he just thanked me. For all the efforts and the work that I put into the church. And leadership is not always easy. In fact, it can be very difficult. And I'm not, I'm not looking for that type of thing. But I almost immediately teared up. Because there was a young man who's willing to come to me and express his appreciation for my labors in the church. Let's kneel together for prayer.